Hey, science nerds, welcome to Beyond the Abstract, a podcast where we talk about the coolest, cutting edge, basic science research papers in a way that just about anyone can understand. We're back. <laughs> I know everyone has been begging for us to come back, and here we are. It's been a while since our last episode. Yeah. Welcome back to episode 12 of Beyond the Abstract. A lot's been going on. Yeah. I mean, drumroll, we're officially candidates. PhD <laughs> candidates. I, I already got business cards printed. <laughs> it's also funny that like I feel like candidates doesn't sound exciting and then also no one like not in the PhD field cares that you're a candidate. Yeah like, yeah I can stop referring to myself as student, student now. I can just say candidate. But essentially what that means is Ellen and I both passed our um, qualifying exams or they're also called preliminary exams here at Penn which means that I finally get the respect that I deserve. Yeah. <laughs> We fully deserve it. But U.S., not in a great place with coronavirus right now. Not quite. Yeah, it doesn't feel too great when the EU is saying they're not letting us into their country, but it's totally understandable. Yeah. I kind of thought that our two episodes, three episodes actually on coronavirus would like change everything, but just didn't have (laughs) the staying power that we wanted. (laughs) It takes a while for our, like, Texas audience to be reached, so... So once they hear, yeah, game over. That's what'll Cases happen. Cases will plummet. Yeah, yeah. Shout out our Arizona fans. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, though, obviously coronavirus is a very serious thing. Everyone should wear their masks. It's honestly probably the best way we can continue protecting ourselves and everyone else because whew, I looked at that graph and it's not going the it right direction. It is a heavy plateau. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, upward swing now. Yeah, Honestly, it's like yeah. the Nike swoosh. Like, <laughs> except, you know, <laughs> let's not do this. <laughs> Any other updates, Ellen? I guess the one exciting thing is I'm actually going to be able to start going into lab. Oh, exciting. On Monday. Yeah, I haven't really been into lab. Our lab has been like slowly phasing in research. Yeah. So... Yeah, like you said, the thesis thing will just be quick little three-year experience from here on out. Are you having, like, Stockholm Syndrome? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, you know, usually we just complain about lab, but now you're actually, like, looking forward to going back. Yeah, yeah, I have nothing to complain about besides my own home, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite dark when you realize that it, it's not lab that's making your life miserable. It's just your life. It's coming from inside your house. It's you. <laughs> the misery is coming within you. <laughs> What about you? How have you been passing your quarantine days? Um, So big congratulations to me because I have now gained an additional 30 children in the form of plants, actually. (laughs) I was dubbed by our friend Charlie that I am officially a plant dad. And he's like the top plant dad. So for him to deem you a plant dad, it's truly official. Yeah, didn't get anything for Father's Day. The level of disrespect is unreal. <laughs> Shit, but... your card's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> they just propagate so fast, I can't keep count. But it, it's, you know, kind of nice to like wake up every morning and just have a routine, like make your rounds around the house and just like check their soil do they need water are they getting too little sun too much sun it's quite fun (laughs) it's just like being in the clinic yeah yeah (laughs) but i haven't killed anyone yet so (laughs) 
if you can keep plants alive, then you're maybe allowed to take care of humans. Yeah, in yeah. Four to five years. Yeah, it's the next the next step up. Yeah. I'm really excited about the paper we're doing today. Yeah, we're finally doing a CRISPR paper. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a long time. We've gotten tons and tons of requests. By that I mean that like my brother-in-law asked that we do a CRISPR paper. <laughs> Our DMs are flooded. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you've heard at least the word CRISPR in the media somewhere. It's been essentially all the rage for the past six or seven years mm-hmm. in the world of science, a relatively new discovery, but something that definitely revolutionized how we work in a lot of different ways. The group today that we're going to discuss is using CRISPR to try to attempt to cure a genetic disorder that you guys might have heard of, sickle cell disease, which is a really painful disorder of the blood. Yeah. Pop quiz Ellen, do you know what CRISPR stands for? Um, clustered, regularly, Uh interspersed, Uh palindromic repeats. Yeah. Oh my God. That was like... Basically 100%. <laughs> that's me in med school. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting 100% on everything. That's the two of us. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed. I had to look it up. But it's just, you know, another way we can edit the genome, which is to say, actually change our actual DNA. The paper we're discussing today is titled CRISPR-Cas9 Beta-Globin Gene Targeting in Human Hematopoietic Stem Cells. This was published in Nature back in November 2016 by the Porteous Group at Stanford. Mm -hmm. And because the paper focuses on this genetic disorder, sickle cell disease, we wanted to give you guys a little bit of background on the condition. So it's an inherited disease, which means it passes on from one generation to the next. And it affects our red blood cells, which are really important because they're the cells that carry oxygen throughout our entire body. And one reason this disorder is such an interesting genetic disorder is because it's actually caused by a single mutation in a single base pair that makes up our genetic code. And this change in a single base pair leads to a change in an amino acid, and amino acid makes up our proteins. So that means one wrong A, T, G, or C leads to a massive effect throughout the entire body. Yeah, this is the equivalent of if you spell one letter in a word wrong, the entire book is just unreadable. Yeah. That's how impressive this, and like dangerous actually, this one little change is. Mm -hmm. And that just shows how important it is in our body to make sure that we have the correct genetic code. So actually these kind of mutations are fairly rare considering how many base pairs make up our entire DNA. Our body devotes a lot of energy to making sure that code is correct, and when one thing is wrong, it can really have um, drastic effects. Yeah. Pretty impressive, actually. Yeah. My own body's better at reading and writing than I am. <laughs> but in this disease, the mutation is in the beta-globin gene, and that beta-globin gene is a building block for hemoglobin. It actually is what carries oxygen in red blood cells. And the disease gets its name because this mutation causes a change in the shape of red blood cells. Red blood cells have the perfect shape to be able to travel through the bloodstream so it can travel through all all parts of your body to do its job to deliver oxygen. So when it has this sickled shape, um, it's sort of like a little curve, it actually gets stuck in parts of the bloodstream and this obstructs the flow of blood. And what this results in is actually really um, excruciating pain for patients who are are affected by sickle cell disease. 
And as you can imagine, if there's not sufficient blood flow to different parts of your body, you can um, also get organ damage. And this disease can often lead to death. Actually, a lot of these people essentially lose function in their spleen because these red blood cells just form these clots that kill off the spleen which has a lot of implications for their immune system. They're much more susceptible to a lot of different types of infections and have to get more vaccines to be protected. Another thing she pointed out was the excruciating pain they can sometimes experience. These are called sickle cell pain crises. And as she said, are extremely, extremely painful. Both of us, I think, have seen multiple patients Mm -hmm. in sickle cell crisis Mm -hmm. on the wards. And because this disease is due to a single nucleotide change, that means that people who are studying genetic editing techniques like CRISPR, which are capable of editing our DNA, are especially interested in trying to cure sickle cell disease. Because if we can change the single mutation, are we able to cure the patient of sickle cell disease? Another thing about sickle cell disease in the United States is that it actually disproportionately affects African Americans. In the medical field, there is also often a stigma of sickle cell disease that is rooted in racism. A defining characteristic of this disease is these pain crises, and often the patients who have these pain crises have to be admitted to the hospital for pain management. So this means that people with sickle cell disease are often admitted to the hospital multiple times a year. I'm sure on clinic you saw these people who would often be admitted at least like once a month, Mm -hmm. meaning that they're often being seen in the hospital and often having to be treated with pain meds like opiates. It's been shown that there's actually prejudices against patients with sickle cell disease. There have been numerous studies on this. An example of this is that patients who are in the ED in a sickle cell pain crisis have much longer wait times than non-sickle cell disease patients. Yeah, I think it's really important to highlight these disparities, racial disparities specifically in medicine. Medicine is supposed to be serving those in need, but I think we have to really come to recognize that we're failing a lot of these patients Mm -hmm. by not really believing what they have to say, believing that they're in pain. And not all of this is necessarily over. A lot of it Mm -hmm. is subconscious sort of racism Mm -hmm. or discrimination, Mm -hmm. but it's something that we definitely need to talk about more and actively work towards correcting because Mm -hmm. in the end, it's harming our patients. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of time internal biases that we need to start being confronted with, especially as people in the healthcare industry. The next thing we want to talk about was CRISPR itself. So Ellen told us what CRISPR stands for, but what is it exactly? CRISPR is actually a tool that bacteria use to fight viruses known as bacteriophages, which is something we've talked about on this pod before. It's essentially an immune system for bacteria. So bacteria actually use this CRISPR system using a protein called Cas9, but we're just going to call it the CRISPR system, to recognize the viral DNA and essentially cut it up, chop it up so that it can't cause the bacteria any more damage, which is pretty cool. But what scientists essentially found was that they can use the same CRISPR system to edit various regions of the human genome to change our DNA. And it's kind of similar to find and replace on Microsoft Word. CRISPR 
recognizes specific sequences and changes it. So we can use this to find errors in our genome and replace them with the correct sequence. In order to do this, the CRISPR system needs a template, directions to where in the genome it's supposed to go. And after that, it makes a very specific cut in the DNA and then replaces the DNA with something else. For the purpose of sickle cell patients, we can use this technology to find these mutations with CRISPR and then fix them so that these cells start making the proper form of hemoglobin and we can hopefully alleviate a lot of these symptoms that these patients experience. And the biggest advantage is we're actually fixing patients' own cells. So another thing we've talked about on this podcast before is organ transplantation and how one of the challenges is that when you receive someone else's organs, your body recognizes it as something foreign and sometimes tries to reject it. But in this case, you're using your own cells and fixing your own cells, so there's no risk of this. Again, the overall question of this paper is seeing if we can use this CRISPR technology to repair the sickle cell disease causing mutation in patient's blood. And in the future, can we reintroduce these edited cells into the patient to cure the disease? So the first experiment they needed to do in this paper is just seeing if they can use the CRISPR technology to modify the beta globin gene in cell culture first. They isolated human blood cells and tested their CRISPR platform. And what they found is that the CRISPR technology could actually recognize this very, very specific region in the beta globin gene. And the region they were looking at is the region where the disease causing mutation is typically located. They're able to successfully cut this region in the genome. And then they were also able to introduce a foreign DNA template back into the region. So this is really important. First, all needed to be done in cell culture because this technique is still relatively new and they're not sure if it will work in blood cells and at the specific gene they're interested in. It's pretty cool. Essentially what they did was they put a fluorescent protein in the beta globin gene. So they put a protein called GFP, it stands for green fluorescent protein, and they could see if the GFP successfully integrated into the DNA, then they would glow green, which is pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) I wish my blood would glow green. (laughs) The next thing they did, once they were able to show that they're successfully able to introduce new DNA into the beta globin gene in human blood cells, They wanted to see if they could introduce these human blood cells that had GFP in them into mice and see if they were able to successfully engraft these blood cells into the bone marrow of mice. They injected these blood cells into a mouse and a few weeks later they wanted to see, okay, what percentage of cells in the blood contain GFP, meaning that they came from these human edited blood cells. And what they found was that in some cases, up to 75% of the blood cells in these mice actually came from the human cells because they glowed green. They had this GFP protein. So they were very excited to see that they could transplant these edited human cells in vivo in the mouse model. So the next question and the major question of the paper that they asked is, can they correct the disease-causing mutation in cells from patients with sickle cell disease. So they did exactly that. 
They isolated blood cells from patients with sickle cell disease, so these blood cells would contain the single nucleotide mutation, and they used the same technology to recognize the mutation, cut it, and in this instance, instead of just adding the GFP tag, they actually added a template that corrected the mutation. And what they found is they were pretty successful with this technique. Around 50% of the blood cells could actually be corrected to have the normal DNA sequence. And they also found that these edited blood cells acted like pretty normal human blood cells, meaning that they could grow and differentiate into red blood cells, which would be the ultimate goal, that if we were introducing these cells back into human patients, they could develop into red blood cells and carry oxygen for the patients throughout the body. So this entire paper is a proof of concept paper. Can we even fix these cells in culture? Because in culture, we're able to control every aspect of these cells. So if we can't even do it in this super controlled environment, there's no way we're going to be able to do it in an actual human, which would be the goal. But what they showed was that they're actually able to do this in cultured cells, which raises the possibility and the hope that we can do this in humans. That's what's so important about this paper is it represents the potential this technology holds, not just for sickle cell disease, but all different sorts of diseases. That by using this novel CRISPR genome editing technology, we can fix mutations, especially for diseases that don't really have many treatment options like sickle cell disease. Yeah, and as we mentioned, this paper was published in 2016, which is only four years ago, but in the scientific field, the technology of CRISPR has really like exploded. So as Derek said, this was like a really important foundational study for proof of concept. And some of them have already been implemented. In the case of sickle cell disease, there's three patients with sickle cell disease in the U.S. that have been treated with this technology. The first patient received it about a year ago. Her name is Victoria Gray, and she received a lot of press for being the first patient to receive this sort of genome editing therapy. And thankfully, she's actually been doing really well. There's a recent NPR article that came out about her that was just really, really awesome. Mm -hmm. Her blood, a lot of it has essentially returned to normal. She doesn't Mm -hmm. have those sickle-shaped red blood cells anymore. She isn't really having any of these pain crises Mm -hmm. anymore, which is a big deal for her. And I think something that was really cool about that NPR article particularly was she talked about how a treatment like this has actually affected her in COVID times. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, many of the people in the Black community Mm -hmm. have been disproportionately affected by coronavirus. And a lot of people that Victoria Gray knows have been affected by coronavirus. Mm -hmm. What Victoria Gray really highlighted was that not having these pain crises has been life-changing for her. Mm -hmm. She's been able to stay home and take care of her family when that's not something she necessarily would have been able to do if she had these pain crises all of the time. And especially it's important now when people in her support system are getting affected by this illness. Yeah, it's it's a really incredible story and just goes to show how this kind of advance can really be completely life-changing for people with chronic disorders where they're going from being admitted to the hospital almost monthly to being pain-free for an entire year. Um, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. 
So there are obvious controversies also around CRISPR technology. And one of the things I really want to highlight is at the end of the day, who is actually going to be able to have access to this Mm -hmm. sort of treatment? We know from the people who are able to seek out care and who are chosen to partake in clinical trials that medicine isn't equal. Medical care isn't distributed equally Mm -hmm. across socioeconomic statuses, across races, and these sorts of treatments cost millions and millions of dollars. They're so expensive. So at the end of the day, who is it really going to help? And is it going to be accessible for patients of all races from all socioeconomic statuses? That's something that's really important to think about. And I think that's a theme for almost all of our episodes when we're talking about this super exciting cutting edge technology is how do we actually distribute this in an equitable way. We're doing a disservice to our patients by only developing technologies that a small fraction of the Mm -hmm. population can afford and have access to. So on that note, thanks again for continuing to listen, everyone. (laughs) Hopefully this filled a huge void in your heart. (laughs) Yeah, I know it did in mine. Yeah, me too. (laughs) But we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.